Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia Baker-Whitelaw and here is my co-host Morgan Davies. Hello. So this week we watched The Wedding Party, a Patreon listener request from Paracelsus. This 2016 ensemble rom-com became the highest grossing Nigerian film ever, only surpassed by its sequel, which is called The Wedding Party 2 and we have not seen. <laughs> Written and directed by Kemi Adetipa, it stars Adesua Atomi and Banky Wellington as the bride and groom at a chaotic Nigerian wedding. So this is on Netflix if you want to watch it with us. It is sort of a fun, like really broad, silly comedy with lots of family melodrama antics. I mean, basically, if you pick the highest grossing movie from any country, it's always like the most mainstream possible movie. And that is this. So yes. thank you for that request. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Very silly. Did have some criticisms, but generally really interesting because I don't watch very many Nigerian movies. Yeah, well, it made me think of uh, a film that came out a few years ago called The Mermaid, which is a Chinese film, which I'm actually looking at the plot at the moment because oh, I remember... I saw that film because it was like, I watched it because I was like, oh, this is the highest grossing movie in China. It's always interesting to yes. see. And it's like, every time you watch like the most popular movie from any country that isn't like your own, you're always like, wow. <laughs> yes. So I was trying to remember the plot. I remember a lot of... I remember the experience of seeing this movie very vividly, and I remember certain, like, details distinctly, but I didn't remember... It's about a mermaid. I couldn't remember if she was a mermaid originally, if she got turned into a mermaid. It is about people, and it's like an environmental allegory. She has to skateboard a lot because she doesn't have feet. Yes. And <laughs> this was a huge phenomenon in China. Like, it made... The box office per Wikipedia is, in US dollars, $553.8 and it was primarily made that money in China as opposed to like American movies that make a huge global box office, but it's making money all over the world, right? Like this was mostly um, money made in China. And it did come out in New York in a couple of theaters. And a friend of mine who also loves movies and I were like, we have to go see this. Like this is a huge phenomenon. And it didn't get very much press, but it got enough that we were aware of it. And so we went and saw it at like the Times Square AMC, I think was where this was playing in New York, which is a huge multiplex. It was bizarre that it was there. It was not a very full theater. And it was like us and a bunch of Asian people at this cinema who clearly understood like the cultural references better than we did. We had a great time, but it was one of those things where you could just tell like, oh, there's a lot of jokes in this that I am not understanding. Like there was a recurring joke about something that they kept saying and everyone would laugh and we'd be like, I have no idea what that is. Like, I just don't get it. But it was fascinating because normally when you see foreign films in America or, you know, any place that's not the country of origin, you're seeing like serious art cinema. It would be like if the only American movies that went anywhere were it's like, like Paul Blart, like Paul Blart Mall Cop, right? Right. But after watching this, I did start looking at like the most popular movies in each country. And it's like, you go to France and it's like the French Paul Blart Mall Cop is like the most popular film. Britain is a little harder because there's loads of basically Hollywood movies that are co-productions. But what I would use as a comparison is British comedy because there are so many like really British specific comedies that never leave the country that are like based on some TV series that everyone in England will know and everyone else will be like what the fuck is this and it's a bunch of like comedians who are bajillionaires in Britain no one else has heard of wearing like a false nose and prat falling and it's like this <laughs> and it's like the most popular film of the year and every country has them 
and um, America's is merely, you know, inflicted on everyone else's because Hollywood is in charge of everything. I mean, in reality, the highest grossing movies most places are the Avengers because that's like how monopolies work. But um, uh, this is like one of the most expensive and by far the most like financially successful Nigerian film. And it would definitely be described as Nollywood, which like Bollywood is sort of a portmanteau of Hollywood and the locale from which it originates. And um, kind of as with Hollywood, there is, of course, a difference between here is a film from Nigeria and here is a film that people would classify as a Nollywood movie. Um, I would say like a Hollywood movie usually implies big budget, definitely implies kind of glossiness and probably some movie stars that you've really heard of, as opposed to like an indie drama that just happens to have been filmed in Los Angeles. Likewise, Nollywood, I think, is kind of associated with like a lower budget um, often like quite like melodramatic acting. There was like a specific kind of editing, which I now also kind of associate with like TikTok, which I think of as like a Nollywood style where there's lots of really like intentionally over the top reaction shots, which was definitely present in this. And also there's a lot of Nollywood movies that are sort of have like a like a fantasy element um, as opposed to like you're just watching like an indie drama from Nigeria. So this is a movie with a lot of, I think we can safely describe as overacting. <laughs> from like over the top family members going through various sort of feuds and tribulations in the middle of this wedding which is between the heirs of two really rich families but one family is kind of more down to earth and relatable and the other family has like an evil bitchy mum in charge and like her harried husband who's the he's an oil magnate and he's cheating on his wife but like you kind of sympathise with him because she is such a harridan (laughs) a lot of a lot of gender roles in this film Um, oh, we'll like, be getting into that. Yes, <laughs> yeah, but it was—it's one of those films where it's described as a rom-com, but like, it's more of a sort of like here's what life is like kind of movie because there's not actually that much romance between the main couple because they're already together. You don't actually see them together for like the first third of the film, which is quite unusual. And the conflict is that uh, obviously it's their wedding day and everything goes wrong. And also sort of like, she is a bit more of a, she's like a nice girl. She's a virgin. He is a former playboy who has all of these exes. So there's all these different elements that are kind of conspiring to mess up this wedding, which also has like two families who don't think much of each other. So like one of the key conflicts is like her family is like hired this Yoruba caterer who's cooking all this really delicious traditional food and the other more snobbish family has hired this more like European style caterer and the guests are just like I don't want to eat this so so that's kind of that's that's like the situation at the wedding party and um I find this movie pretty entertaining um but of course it is also very silly yes I found it I found parts of it definitely fun some of the actors I mean, they're all definitely overacting. Some of them seem to have a good grasp of the tone of what they're doing in a way that I found really fun. And some of them didn't. <laughs> and some of them just didn't have as much to do. Like the main couple are just don't have anything. It was weird, on. right? Because like the, all of the fun parts are like the mums and the aunties. There's loads of really yes. good roles for like mums and aunties. The woman who was playing like the one white girl was not a good actor and was really obviously dubbed. Although I think quite a lot of people were dubbed for like probably audio reasons. And she is like the lead character in the sequel, which kind of surprised me. But um, the two lead actors in this are really, really famous and they don't actually get that much to do. Um, So the lead actress is very, she's very famous in Nigeria. She's kind of a multi-hyphenate star and she is actually married to the guy who plays her groom in this film, who's more of a kind of musician 
type celebrity but um it, do, it did feel slightly strange that they didn't get more to do but it also does fall into that sort of the formula you often get in like an ensemble movie where the main two characters are the sort of like the normal relatable ones and then everyone around them is really wacky yes and goes to the point of like genre classification so the i was sort of digging around the internet trying to find reviews of this which was a bit difficult because the internet is separated by country whether we think it is or not like google wise it was just very difficult to find things and the wedding party is such a generic title that like you search things and you get like ads for weddings which was not what i was looking for but but i did find some stuff and it was routinely referred to as a romantic comedy and like the person who requested it was referring to it as a romantic comedy and i'm not familiar with nollywood cinema so this clearly was thought of in that way right as it was marketed but by sort of Hollywood standards of how that genre functions, this definitely does not qualify, right? Because as you say, they're together at the beginning, which sometimes rom-coms, that's the case. And you have like a comedy of remarriage where they break up right away. And then the whole thing is about them getting back together. But the relationship between the couple is really not the driving force of this movie. Like they are married like a half an hour in, basically. And usually marriages come at the end of romances, like back to, you know, Shakespeare and whatnot. And then there's some conflict because she thinks maybe he's had sex with somebody else because they haven't been sleeping together. But overall, again, like their relationship is not really what makes the film entertaining or interesting because they're just kind of there to be pretty. And that's fine. But also they're present enough that the movie kind of feels like it's trying to make them the central I mean, they are the central figures. Like, it was just a bit of an odd balance, I felt. And, like, I was reading reviews, and they're like, yeah, she runs an art gallery, and he is an IT entrepreneur. And I was like, maybe I missed some dialogue, but that was not, like, <laughs> Yeah, I read something where they said me. he was an art gallery owner, and I was like, I definitely do not know what these people's jobs are. Like, I know that he is obviously one of the heirs of, like, her his father's fortune, because there's yes. kind of a subplot to do with his brother, who's having to do all this business stuff, and file off his father's mistress in the middle of the wedding party but yeah that is kind of an issue in a lot of this type of film like i said where the leads are basically a bit dull um but but it was kind of like it was kind of a weird combo because you've got like the leads who are like here where they're like the relatable normal ones but then like their melodrama was like so wild Because it was like, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, actually, it was like, they have like a scene in the car after they've got married and they're driving like to the reception. And she finds a thong in his upper pocket, which has clearly been planted by the sexy evil bitch who I found very entertaining, who is just like pure like pantomime villain. I'm a sexy evil lady. Uh, (laughs) But it's like obviously been planted. And it's like the level of reaction is like so over the top. Because instead of being like, my God, how did this get here? She's like, I'm leaving you immediately. And I'm like, this couple is going to be fighting once every 12 hours for however long that marriage lasts. (laughs) There's like no kind of informational exchange you're like we are going to the number one drama immediately and it's like you know what okay i will believe this because all of your relatives are also like this <laughs> right well i think the problem with the romance such as it is is like i mean they just don't flesh them out enough as characters right which the movie clearly isn't really interested in doing which is like fine but like their personalities are that she's a virgin and he used to sleep around a lot and doesn't anymore. Yeah. Like, that's what they give you yeah. about them. We can talk more about the larger gender issues in the movie later, maybe, but 
it's just like that's not interesting to me and it's kind of a bit outmoded in like my my personal experience of the world right and so it's not that I can't like find that interesting or like find a character who's experiencing these things interesting but like the fact that there's a sort of conservatism about the approach to sex there was a little bit alienated to me, I would say. And the movie clearly doesn't find his behavior a problem, but he has to reform himself. But like, also, of course, she's like this beautiful virginal woman because that's what you do. And I was like, well, I don't know about this so much. It is what it is, you know. I found the woman who, like this evil bitch lady who comes and is like, I'm going to try to ruin your marriage because I'm your ex-girlfriend and I love you. Like, funny, but also I was just like, what is happening? Like, she literally shows up and is like, I'm going to pin you to the bed and stick my thong in your jacket because you can't resist me. Like, what the fuck? Like, what? What is happening? I mean, it exists, like, it exists in pantomime world. I think actually, like, it kind of reminded me a bit of telenovelas. Because it was like the soap yeah. opera reactions and like the way the characters are following certain really over the top kind of archetypes apart from, and then you've got like a couple of serious um, characters to ground it. So it's like the father of the groom is the most serious character. And I was kind of looking up all the actors because all these are like really like well established actors, and he seems like he's done like a lot of films. And generally, is like it's like we'll give this role to like the respectable guy. <laughs> and then he there's was a great. lot of like yeah, he was great. And, like, the moms are very over-the-top and sort of caricature-ish. They felt very real to me at the same time, though. I was like, I feel like I've met I've met these ladies. <laughs> Correct. So the younger people are having these dramas, and they're sort of revolving around sex in a way that I found a little bit unappealing. And they feel kind of cartoonish. And the older characters also feel cartoonish in a way. But I think that the actors kind of get it a little bit more and have a little bit more to do. So it allowed it allowed me to sort of get into the movie more when those characters were on screen. So even if they're behaving in ways that also are kind of stereotypical gender wise, it just played better. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like Mamma Mia because like Mamma Mia has several roles that are basically like the clown role, and then you've got more what some more that are like different levels of comedy. So yeah, it's that sort of like ensemble cast. Yes, and like. The mother of the groom, who's played by uh, this actress, Aretiola Doyle, who, again, is like, I, these people are all so famous in this part of the world. I thought was the best in the movie. And she's playing this, like, horrible bitch. Like, snob, snob of all snobs. She's rich. She's just like, ugh, these people, I can't believe they think their daughter's gonna marry my son. Like, rah, rah, rah. But she just made it work. Like, it just felt like those people exist <laughs> yeah and also she got like a bit of pathos at the end yes and um it's definitely a heightened performance like it doesn't it's not meant to be naturalistic right like she's delivering the lines in a very kind of theatrical way but she's so talented that it also feels human while being over the top which i found which is what back to the sort of tone question right like she clearly understands the movie that she's in and what is being asked of her in a way that felt like it really worked. And the same thing I thought was true of the woman who plays the wedding planner, whose name is Zainab Balogun. I'm sorry, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing all these, but um, she's totally on the opposite end of the spectrum is like just doing comedy and is like very big, but felt like she got what she was being asked to do. And 
I found her very fun to watch, even if, again, there's a little bit of a, like, gendered aspect to her performance, right? Like, she's really controlling and, like, extreme. But the class stuff with her felt a little bit smart, also. Yeah, I kind of felt that, like, all of the the stuff to do with, like, class and the clashes between the two families was a lot better (laughs) than all the stuff to do with the, like, sexual relations where it was just like, okay, whatever. Because, like, with the wedding planner, for, like, the first, for most of the film, she's just, like, a kind of silly character where the point is that she, she's just, like, really regimented and completely failing to take control of this chaotic wedding and is trying to uphold, like, this snobby idea. And they have all these funny little cues, like, the music that comes up behind her is, like, a military drum and stuff. And then in the kind of the, towards the end, like after she's embarked on this like feud with the, with like the other catering company who've come in and are clearly much better because they're making local food and everyone's like, oh, this actually tastes good. Like you find out like towards the end that she actually is like fluent Yoruba and she's just not, <laughs> she's like just speaking English to like try and seem like different from what she actually is. And it's kind of about like being true to yourself, that classic rom-com theme. But I was like, pretty good. I like it. Well, also, they don't... So the bride's family is Yoruba and the groom's family is Igbo, and they don't explicitly really get into that, but that's clearly part of the dynamic of the movie, as well as the money situation. Although, it's a bit funny. (laughs) The the groom's mother, who I was just talking about, is, you know, horrified that he's marrying down in this way. And you do find out that the bride's family is broke, but, like... They're also they really live in rich. this huge palatial house <laughs> with like a grand piano. You're like, okay, yeah. sure. I mean, I read like an interview with the director, Kemi Aditiba, and she kind of talks about like how she's basically like, this is all like very true to life. Um, she wrote it as well. So it's like she said, yeah. we have very big personalities. Um, how can we exaggerate this enough that it's funny? I think one of the most important things was when it came to the wedding party, there's so many little things that happen during a regular Nigerian wedding that we already find funny. And then she kind of goes on to say that like a lot of stuff is just drawn from real life. And it's one of these things where everyone just brought all these like different elements of like their aunties and their mums and then kind of put them all together. So you've got like every single person at the same time. And she also kind of talks about how, you know, there's like 300 different ethnic groups in the region. And she's, she said, we're using two of them the most, well, two out of three of the most predominant. And it was Igbo culture and Yoruba. And we definitely tried to fact check in some places. So they were kind of, she talks about like workshopping the different dances they do at the wedding and kind of talking about how there'd be a conflict over who gets to like do their dance first and that sort of thing. Um, it's an article in Black Film. I will link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, that was some of the stuff that was... I mean, the actual sort of wedding culture stuff was some of the most interesting to me because obviously I have no personal experience of that at all. And some of the stuff they're doing at the wedding is very similar to something you would see at a like Western American wedding. And some of it is very different. And I found that very interesting to watch the dancing into the wedding, like the families dance in this sort of a like presentational thing, the families and the bride and groom. And that wasn't something I'd encountered. And I found it really just interesting and fun to watch. And I think it's shot really well. And the actors do like a great job. And it's both just like aesthetically very pleasing. And you get the sense of the characters well through that, like they express their differences very effectively, I thought. But I will say as a sort of brief sidebar, the Netflix subtitles were so bad <laughs> because I had, so I had the subtitles on cause they sort of switched back and forth between English and yeah. Other it's like dialects. largely English, but yeah. Yeah. 
And <laughs> whenever they weren't speaking English, they just switched to speaks in other language without specifying what language they were speaking And sometimes in. they don't translate it. So I think there's like a couple of dialects that the Netflix translator didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And it's like significant whether which language they're speaking, right? Because you have the two different primary cultures. And the, again, the movie is not having them fight about that exactly, but it's part of the underlying tension between them. And I'm so not an expert in this, but I know enough to have picked up on that, which I thought was one of the things the movie doesn't, sort of bang you over the head with which I thought was smart so it's sort of again like a subtextual thing that is part of the problem but well, it's kind of like if you're to speaking sort of... to the audience that already understands it because it's like if you were yes. watching a British or American film about a wedding they don't explain the wedding because they assume the... <laughs> you're already familiar with like all of the weird little shit and the thing about like weddings specifically is it's one of those things where there's so much complicated tradition and no one ever like explains it because they do you do like assume that everyone's going to understand and as soon as you start thinking about like the way weddings work it's just like literally what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> because like culturally like america is really obsessed with weddings and media in general is really obsessed with weddings probably more so than like i've noticed in kind of european cinema for sure and it's like so much money gets spent on the wedding industry and what you end up with is an event where every man is wearing a grey suit. I, I definitely enjoyed watching this. It was not my favourite, you know, viewing experience. And part of that just was that I don't like weddings. So I was just like, ah, oh, yes, an hour and a half of a wedding. But again, the sort of cultural differences made that much more interesting to me than it would have if this had been like an American film of a similar type. And I did think that another interesting aspect of what they were doing was the way they're interacting with some of the Western elements, like the food, which you mentioned and the white, the one white lady in the movie who (laughs) is definitely there just to be like, Nigerian culture is so great. (laughs) Like that's her whole role. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, she's, she's, she, you're definitely making fun of her, but it's sort of like, yeah, I mean, her concept is that she's sort of slightly fetishizing that Nigerian culture. She's like, I love it. And like, the whole point is she's learned all the dances really traditionally, but everyone is also kind of like, well, it's kind of adorable. Oh, yeah. No, the movie is very into the fact that she likes this yeah. stuff, which I'm sure is borne out by the fact that they literally made her the lead in the second one, which yeah. is wild. It is wild, because um, she was not one of the good actors. <laughs> no. But like, there's a scene where, so they've got the the food thing which you already mentioned and there's a scene where she like orders this like several things that she wants to eat to one of the caterers that are all the you know traditional nigerian food and the brother of the groom is like really startled by this because he's been ignoring her because she's just the white lady and she's like what i like my nigerian food and they're all like oh my god like this is so amazing (laughs) and then the one where she like goes up and dances with like traditional dancers which to me seemed incredibly rude. And they're all like clapping and taking video of her. And I was like, oh dear. You could not put this in an American movie because everyone would be like, please stop like sex in the city toing me. (laughs) Right. But that, and then the sort of broader food issue, right? Which is that like, see everyone at the wedding wants the original food and not the like pasta that you've brought in. And I feel like there was some, there was one other thing that I noticed that I'm now forgetting, but it was like in this vein, maybe I'm imagining things, but there just was this general feeling of like, 
see, our stuff is better. Yeah, like, the traditional ways are better. And if you try and have like an Americanized wedding, it's not going to be as good. Yes. Although obviously she's wearing like a, you know, beautiful a white dress, white dress which is that's like virtually universal. You know, correct. But there just felt to me like a sort of strain in the movie of this like traditionalism. Yeah. Which was interesting. I mean, that kind of goes back to what we were saying in the beginning about like the most popular movies in every country. Because it's always like the two yes. things are, it's like, it's always like something really broad and silly and mainstream. But there's always like some thing that's like, oh, this is actually like commenting on our culture specifically. Yeah. Like we were talking about, like in China, it's like The Mermaid, I think is now like the third or fourth highest grossing movie ever. But it's like a couple of the highest grossing movies are The Mermaid, which is really kind of talking about like economic differences, but it's really explicitly about ecological problems because The Mermaid is going to get like poisoned by this corporation that's putting shit in the water or whatever. And then The Wandering Earth was like the biggest movie in China a couple of years ago. And just a heads up, if anyone thinks they might want to watch The Wandering Earth, appalling film. <laughs> I mean, no <laughs> offensive. It's just a really bad blockbuster. I mean, you know, go go ahead if you want to watch it. But it's like the concept of the film, which is immediately very appealing to me, is um, they have to basically pull the Earth with a bunch of engines like across the galaxy to find a new sun. So it's like this really big sci-fi epic. And it's all to do with like, you know, essentially like patriotism and like, working together and like achieving your goal through technology and teamwork but also like you know finding love or whatever um primarily though it's like cgi action sequences which is why i wasn't into it but it's like you know there is always something that your your nation's top movie says about you and um what america's top movies say about them is that disney controls everything and america's still not over 9-11 because pretty much all of the avengers movies are about a building blowing up in the middle of a city None of the pedestrians are harmed bloodily, but like then some muscular white man will like save the day while waving an American flag. And it's like, feels like there must be some kind of subtext here, but let's not examine it any further. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you've, you've diagnosed our national uh, pathology very effectively. And all British films are about a buffoonish man not understanding class differences. <laughs> I mean, we also have Avatar, which really says nothing good. Yeah, Avatar, Avatar film, which was intentionally meant to be commentary on colonialism and unintentionally was commentary on colonialism. Correct. So. <laughs> yep. Great. Yeah, and I mean, it's fascinating that, like, I mean, there's a big variety article about this movie doing so well in Nigeria and in the midst of sort of economic crisis there, as in many places, obviously, but they're specifically having having a hard time. And the idea of sort of American films still doing well, of course, but this resurgence or ascendance, perhaps, of films made in Nigeria and then this film having that strain of, like, pride in, in the culture, right? Which makes sense as a sort of thing that would be appealing to people in the moment. I mean, it also kind of illustrates, like, the one-way direction of the way Hollywood movies spread because it's like yes Disney movies are watched everywhere but I think most people in America would not be aware that more films are made in Nigeria than in Hollywood like the sheer volume of films is enormous and they're pretty much all being watched in Africa or 
locally on DVD or streaming in African diaspora and other part like other parts of the world. You're not gonna sit down in like a multiplex in Iowa and get to see every single one of the top ten movies that were made in Nigeria this year. But you can like the reverse is definitely gonna be true for Disney because they have like this international reach. Yes. And they have more money. They have more so. money. I mean, the international reach is that they are, like, forcing their little tentacles <laughs> into different right. parts of the world. <laughs> I mean, this movie is the highest budget, or one of the highest budget movies also, and it's still, I've lost the statistic on this page now, yeah. but it's still, I mean, I mean it's was, way, I think way, there way was, less. like, the highest budget movie that was technically Nigerian, I think, is a film that starred, like, Tandy Newton, so it was, like, you know, it's a film with like a British star, so I don't know. I mean, it's interesting to look at like the top ten list of films from Nigeria because uh, it's got a lot more women. <laughs> women filmmakers yeah. are doing better for sure. Uh, yeah, three of the three of the top ten were directed by women. Obviously, two of those were the same director. So, um, Kemi Editiba also directed like this movie that's more of a drama. It's like a political thriller called King of Boys, um, which also has like the same lead actress as this. But like, yeah. Looks like women directors are doing better there. I mean, it's great for them. It's just grim to think about. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at sort of lists of like best Hollywood movies and they're just not available to stream here, even with the exception of a couple that are on Netflix. Like they're just not. There was definitely films that you can just watch like on YouTube, right? Because they were made for like $10. Um, Yeah. There was like a Nigerian zombie movie that was really big a couple of years ago that I'm pretty sure is on YouTube. It's called Ojuju and it was made on like pocket change it was filmed like on cameras that people already owned i think it's listed as zero budget um which is always impressive but i think that was showing at like horror festivals and stuff here yeah um so it is sort of fascinating to think about the fact that there is this huge huge cinema production culture that just is so not overlapping with ours right like which i think was bollywood for a long time and then that yeah. changed because Bollywood movies show in, I've seen Bollywood movies in theaters here like they show Bollywood movies pretty regularly now I don't know if I that's think the same. less so here which makes sense for yeah I mean there's just reasons. more <laughs> there's more Asian yeah. people in the UK <laughs> but it's there's certainly like they are more available here now than they would have been however many years ago and certainly more available in these movies which just aren't unless you have a sort of I mean much thing. as we badmouth Netflix um, Netflix does actually seem to be intentionally going for more international reach at the moment and picking up loads of films from around the world because they're trying to, I mean... Well, they opened in Nigeria, which yeah. is why they're picking this stuff up, which makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you? So I'm sure there will be more of this in the coming few years um, as they try to do that more. I mean, the other thing, which is sort of veering off topic from this a little bit, is that I saw someone in something I read, I don't recall which, but I mean, I'll link to a bunch of the things I was reading. The, the obvious comparison, right, is, is movies about these incredibly wealthy people being made while the country is suffering a depression like this it really is quite similar to Hollywood in the 30s, which made rom-com to rom-com to rom-com about primarily very wealthy people. Yeah, like, well, and also wealthy people with wealthy you know, families, so it's not even, like, aspirationally, like, rags to riches. It's like, here's a movie about, yeah. like, every single person is really glamorous. Yeah. And the movie does, like, there's a one sort of absurd scene where someone tries to, like, rob the wedding and <laughs> talks about yes class stuff and, like, economics. 
and it is clearly like they clearly felt like they had to put something in the film about this, but it is not that effective. And then in the movie just goes back to the other what it's been doing already, right? And um I mean it, like I love all those old 30s movies, so fine, like people needed escape, but it just does it was like I kept thinking about Atlantics watching this too, which also has a big wedding aspect and is about like a actually poor young woman marrying or almost marrying, I can't remember if they actually do it, um, a very wealthy like real estate magnate. And that movie has such a grasp on the dynamics of that situation. And I it's mean, obviously there are trying such to... different types of movies. I mean, it kind of makes you think of like when people were criticizing crazy rich Asians for being about rich people, and it's like that's the point, <laughs> right? No, it's not that they like this movie should have been doing that. It's clearly uh, um, its objective is something totally different. But it was just interesting to me to think about the different ways that people get portrayed, right, or that these situations get portrayed, and that this is just offering the sort of escapist, yeah, fantasy, um, which people need. Like, people just want to not think about things sometime. I mean, I do think Crazy Rich Asians is uh, problematic, but that is a different conversation. Yeah, I mean, it was the grand piano was the thing that really got me. I was like, these are the poor people and they have a grand piano? Like, what? <laughs> um, but I mean, ditto with, like, Pride and Prejudice, right? Where Elizabeth is, like, the horrible poor lady that Mr. Yeah, Darcy's falls in love with. Yeah, it's like you have an estate. Yeah. Um, so, twas ever thus. Do we have any other thoughts on this before we I think we're good thank you again to Paracelsus for requesting this film yeah it was it was really fun to it's a nice little like upbeat break but after several kind of quite serious quite serious yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting like such a good variety of requests I think and a lot of them are films that I've literally never heard of which is ideal to me quite frankly yeah I mean to go from Mikey and Nikki to this is pretty humorous on many many levels like you cinema is alive and contains everything like they're just all manner of stuff um you pretty much can't get more different than those two movies truly like i guess science <laughs> yeah, fiction in deep space but like that's yeah a... if, if if there had been like a wizard in this movie i think that pretty much would have been the opposite film of right <laughs> Um, so uh, just as a general reminder, before we talk about what we're doing next week, you can request stuff from us on Patreon, which is why we're, our schedule is so varied this year. Obviously, ideal, because um, there's no new movies coming out. Um, so we have already quite a, a long list of films that we are preparing to watch and review over the coming weeks, but we are always looking for new requests. So you just go on Patreon and give us some money and ask us uh, to watch something. You can also choose other types of media like you know, we will do a TV series, but like four episodes because <laughs> we don't have yeah. that contact. <laughs> it's it's better to choose a movie, I would say, because it's easier to talk about. But if you feel really passionately about, you know, if you like me, else. want Morgan to watch the Battlestar Galactica miniseries, uh, <laughs> then. <laughs> but uh, next week we will be discussing. I mean, really, we've got we've hit a, a trifecta of like covering all the bases. I'm really excited to hear what you're going to say, because I've forgotten what, what we're doing. <laughs> we're doing Wrath of Khan next week. Oh my god! So ah! it's, Oh, I'm so excited. I, I was joking about Deep Space, but here we go. Oh, that's... Oh, I'm so glad someone requested... And also, I've not seen this movie in, like, 
years, many years. And this is one of the best Star Trek movies. Some say the best. I mean, I've never seen it, so I am looking forward <laughs> to that. This will be an episode where Gav talks for, I would say, <laughs> oh, 75% so of the much. time. <laughs> yeah, that'll be really good. Uh, we have We have such a list coming up. We will also be talking about the new Spike Lee movie when that comes out on Netflix in a few weeks. Um, yes. And we ha- will be doing The Lord of the Rings soon. Yes. I'm just waiting to be fully, like, 100% yeah. optimal energy. Gonna do, like, weightlifting and crunches and so forth. You yeah. know, a facial scrub. All these things to make sure Morgan <laughs> and I are both in tip-top condition to give Lord of the Rings our full attention. Yeah. So, lots of good stuff coming up. You can check out our bonus episode on the half of it, which is on Netflix, uh, on our Patreon as well. And yeah, thank you all for listening as always. We hope you are all staying safe and well. And Gabby, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, You can find my writing on The Daily Dot and you can find me on Twitter at hello underscore Taylor. And you can find me on Twitter at mldavies. The podcast is on Twitter at OverinvestedPod. Our Tumblr is OverinvestedPodcast. And our website is OverinvestedPodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.